First Samuel chapter 13. Tonight, I've got a message entitled, Perhaps God. I preached this message in a version of it um, three years ago when we began the work, when we began Ignite. And I just felt like the Lord was taking me back to this place and He showed me some things different that I hadn't seen the first time going through. So I'm, I'm preaching some things a little, through this again, but, but I think there will be some things that will go, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that was there. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 23. Now, a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass of Michmash. The enemy was putting them in the position to watch Israel. Almost as if taunting them. 1 Samuel 14.1 says, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come. Come, let's go over. It's on the second one there. Sorry about that. Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. This story, I believe, is bigger than David and Goliath. The Philistines were closing in. I want you to understand what this looked like just briefly. There were 3,000 chariots. There were people as many... There was uh, men that were warriors. As many as the sands were the sea, the Bible says. The Philistines were, were, were that numerous. There were 6,000 charioteers. These were a ruthless people. I... I picture them to look like the Vikings, bearded, you know, kind of that, you know, if they had ships, they would have sailed in on ships. That's just the way they look. And here is Jonathan. He's 15 years old. The Philistines are positioned opposite of them with a valley in between them. So I want you just to get the picture. There's Michmash, there's, there's, uh, there's a valley of Michmash in between. There's, a, there's a, a rise in the mountain over here where the... The Philistines have, have set themselves up in camp. And on the other side in, in Gilgal is the, the Israelites with Saul. And they're on the other side. So it's kind of a facing off that's going on. And there's not that great of a distance in between them. They can see each other. At the beginning of this day, there was nothing in this day that would indicate that it would be remarkable. But on this day, God would win a victory through the bold and the trusting of Jonathan. God is ever on the outlook for believing souls who will receive His power and His grace on one hand and transmit them on the other. Get it on this side and then you, put, you lay it out on this side. He's, he's looking for people like that. See, this was not Jonathan's project to be carried out. I want you guys to understand this. When, when a, a man of God steps into position, it is not his own volition of which he's doing it. Sometimes it looks like that because we see, we see how the Bible works and we don't quite understand. But I want you to understand tonight that this is where the sovereignty of God comes in. It's because God had already, He was already working things out. Jonathan didn't just come up on this and go, here's what I'm going to do. No, God had already been working. See, no person is, is an end of themselves. God is always looking. And, and you look at Jonathan here. He was willing to give his life for the cause of Christ. 
See, 2 Peter says it like this, one twenty-one. It says, No prophecy had its origin in human will, but it was birthed by the Holy Spirit and carried along by the prophets. They didn't just come up with this on their own. It was something that God birthed in them. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfected towards Him. God is looking for people who will stand in the gap. God is looking for people who will say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. I'm willing. I'm a willing vessel. Use me, God. See, the situation was very dire for Israel. 1 Samuel 13, 19-22 says this, There was not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, Otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattoxes, axes, sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel. It was very expensive to get sharpened. For sharpening their plow points, anything, repointing their goads. So on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul, except for Jonathan and Saul, had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now I want you to picture this. There's men as many as the sands of the sea. There's 3,000 chariots. And there's two guys, two people, have swords. To go to battle. Yes. See, the enemy wants to position us so that we cannot make war. See, the enemy wants to remove the most powerful weapon that we have in our arsenal. What is it? The swords? No, it's worship. See, this doesn't always make sense to us, but listen to this. In Psalms 141, 142, and 143, we hear these words. O Lord, I called upon you. O Lord, hear my cry. O Lord, hear my prayer. And then he answers in Psalms 144, 145, 146, 147. He says, praise me. Praise me. And he, he, he culminates it with this in Psalms 149, 6-9. He says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nation and punishment on the peoples to bind up their kings their, their kings with chains and their nobles with iron fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment written this is the honor for all God's holy ones praise the Lord he's telling us this you know what? You want to make war against the enemy? You do it with praise. You know how you're going to make war against the enemy? It's by lifting up your voice and shouting to God. See, that's why we come together. Sometimes we go, what is all this shouting about? It's because, you know what? We want, we're, we're saying, we're declaring our battle plan. Lord, here's what we're going to do. You're battling on our behalf, but you've, all you've asked us to do is have the high praises of God in our mouth. We say, okay, well, you know what, Greg? That's just one, that's just one scripture. Okay, well, let's look at 2 Chronicles. Chapter 20. The Moabites and the Amorites came to make war against the Israel. A vast army, the Bible says in verse 20, that's coming against you. In 21, Jehoshaphat says this. He appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out ahead of the army. See, God says, listen, you want a weapon? It's praise. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm so, I am so determined that praise is so important that I put them out in front of the army. That I'll do battle on behalf of those who have two swords. 
Verse 22 says, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Amoab and, and Mount Meir. And then He caused, who were trying to invade Judah. They were trying to, they, they were, that day they were defeated. See, God puts a shout in our voice. Uh, the, the word in, in, in the Hebrew is ruach. And it means to split the ears. When they began to, to march around Jericho, when those walls fell in, it says that they, they shouted. So you say to yourself today, okay, Greg, well, that's good. That's some nice Old Testament stuff. All right, well, then let's look at what the New Testament says. Colossians 3.16 Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. See, I tell you tonight, if the enemy has your song, he has you. If the enemy has your worship and praise, he has your weapons to make war against him. You're defenseless. The single most powerful and effective weapon you have is worship. It's in your mouth. Speak it. Sing it. Release it. The Word of God on your lips. The fruit of your lips. Hebrews 13.15 says, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips that give, give thanks to His name. See, we put on the full armor of God, then we buffer ourselves in praise. We build a canopy of praise that surrounds us and saturates the atmosphere we live in. Worship seems silly sometimes. But I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you a song tonight that every one of you probably have heard one time in your life. And sometimes we'll think, well, you know, this worship, we, you guys, it sounds silly. You guys, it's repetitive. It doesn't, you know, I'm, I don't know. Okay, well, let me tell you. Let's see what the world's... Let's see what the world has. They, they sang this on Friday night. Okay, here's the words. I knew a man bojangles, and he'll da- he danced for you, in worn-out shoes, with silver hair, a ragged shirt, and baggy pants, the old soft shoe. He jumped so high, jumped so high, that he lightly touched down. I met him in a cell in New Orleans. I was down and out. He looked to me to be the eyes of age, to age, and as he spoke right out, he talked of life. Talked of life, he laughed, clicked his heels, and stepped. He said his name was Bojangles, and he danced a lick across the cell. He grabbed his pants and spread his stance. Oh, he jumped so high, then he clicked his heels. He let a laugh go, let a laugh go, and he shook back his clothes all around. Mr. Bojangles, Mr. Bojangles, Mr. Bojangles, dance. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. If you can listen to that song and sing along with it, because I know, here's the problem with it. If you hear it someplace, you're singing it as much as you don't want to. And it is stupid. It makes no sense at all. And then, we, and then people will go, well, you know, I don't, understand. I, I don't know if I can work. How can you not worship and sing a song like that? I'm going to tell you something else. Get rid of that other stuff. Get rid of the drinking music. Get rid of the rock and roll music. Get rid of all that garbage that you sing along to. See, 
See, we'll get offended by these things that, that, that we see in the, in the church, but we'll allow this stuff to be just inundated in us. I want to take it even a step further. If your Christian music constantly talks about you, or what you're doing, or your feelings, or what's going on with me, I want you to step up and find Christian music that lifts up Jesus, that praises Him, that glorifies Him. See, I don't mind you listening to the other stuff once in a while in teaspoons, but I want you to drink this other in jugs of praise. See, what's going on here in the midst of all this happening? Where is Saul? Jonathan, he's stepping out. Where's Saul at? 1 Samuel 14, 2 and 3 says, Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitab, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. And no one was aware that Jonathan had left. Saul represents us in churches today. Complacent. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. See, but Saul had all the religious accouterments by him. He had the high priest. The high priest had his robe on. He had his priestly garment. See, today, what do we do? Okay, well, I attended church this Sunday. I, I gave in the offering. I gave my 10%. I sang a song, and now I'm good. I've done everything that I need to do. However, it's a false sense of security when we hang on to these religious things. It's obvious, though, that Jonathan knew God. Because he had a discerning spirit. I want to tell you, just before this, there was a time when Jonathan, uh, actually it was right after this, Jonathan met David. And Jonathan was the son of Saul. Okay, So he was in line to be the next king. And instead of taking that place and reaching it and grabbing a hold of it, it says, the Bible says that he took his robe and he put it on David. Why? Because he understood the anointing of God. He understood there was something. He understood that spiritual aspect of things. See, if we compare Jonathan to Saul, we'll understand that all this religious stuff doesn't work. You're dead with no power. See, 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it is a matter of power. So let's see what Jonathan did. Jonathan, in verse 1, says, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. He just couldn't sit there anymore. He had to do something for God. He stepped out into position. See, sometimes we have to remove ourselves from all of the doubters. We have to remove ourselves from dormant Christians. We have to get away from complacency. We have to look forward to what God wants us to do. Get into position for a miracle. Don't sit back. Brandon spoke that. He said, we've been talking about that. We, you know what? We're planting the crops before the rain comes. We're getting ourselves in position. Get in position for a miracle. Separate yourself to hear from God. Surround yourself with people who are armor bearers with God, who are not doubters, but get away from them. Sometimes it's even your family members. If your friends are doubters, push them aside and say, listen, I've got to follow God. See, Jonathan's risk management philosophy was this. Jonathan wasn't choosing how he would die that day. He was choosing how he would live. See, playing it safe is a far greater risk. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
When you get yourself into this kind of position, prayer is all you have. When you get into this position, when you've risked it all, you will learn how to pray. You will know how to reach the Father because there will be a desperation within you. In verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. Nothing can save the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan admitted to his uncertainty, perhaps. See, perhaps means possible, but not certain. The Message Bible says it like this, maybe God will work for us. I want you to know today that a measure of uncertainty is okay. In fact, what takes more faith? If you know something is going to take place, or if you're not sure, but you're believing for it. If, if someone says you're going to have this and it's going to take place, then what, what faith is there in that? But if you're over here and you have nothing and you're going, I am believing for something. I'm believing for God to do something here. That takes more faith, doesn't it? The other ones that give me, this is the faith side over here where you have to stretch and reach. See, embrace that uncertainty. Our inadequacy becomes, becomes God's avenue to work. For my power, he says, is made perfect in weakness. Paul delighted in his weakness. God is not impressed with what I can do in the flesh. He wants to work through me. See, many of us love to operate in a well, realm or sphere that we can control. And I am the first one to tell you, I love that. I, I, Sometimes it's much easier to go plow a field than it is to come in here and plow the spiritual field. Because I can see the results over there sometimes. It's frustrating on this side because I, I, have, to, I have to believe. I have to walk in faith on this side. Over here, all i got to do is get out my shovel and start digging and I can see something happening. But on this side, in the spiritual realm, see, this is where God wants us to plant ourselves and begin to begin to furl this territory over here. Embrace that uncertainty. It's God's chance to act. When was the last time that you were in such a position, such a, a difficult position even, when God had to act on your behalf? When did the physical and spiritual realms meet? Heaven and earth colliding because you stepped out in faith. See, a commentary on this scripture, I love this. It says, this expression did not imply doubt... It signified simply that the object he aimed at was not in his own power, but it depended upon God. And that he expected success neither from his, his own strength nor his own merit. He depended on the Lord. See, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their confession was this. Our God is able to save us, but even if he does not... We will not serve the gods of Nebuchadnezzar. See, I would rather speak honestly and say, God, you know, I'm not sure what you're going to do here, but I'll tell you what, I'm stepping out in faith. I am going to embrace that uncertainty. I'm, I'm going to say, God, I don't know what it's going to look. I'm, I'm pressing. I, you know, I said it last week. I said, sometimes we have to just, we have to reach out with our spiritual hands. And we say, God, I don't know. I'm reaching. I don't. Is that you, Lord? Is that you? I'm feeling for you, God. If we have to, we get down on our knees and we watch his feet 
like I said last week, we get to the place where all heat we can see is Him. When, when, when it's so cloudy, when, the, when there's so much fog, just reach down there and keep touching His feet. You know what? If that's all you got to hang on to, you hang on to that place. Amen. See, Jonathan was certain of two things. He knew of God's power, and he knew of God's promise. What was God's promise? He said that you will go in and possess this land. That was his promise. These uncircumcised fellows, they're not a problem. He, he told Joshua, he says, wherever you step your foot, that's going to be yours. That wherever you plant yourself. See, that's what God's telling. Those things that He's told us, the, thing, the promises that He's made. See, Gideon understood this. Jonathan had heard this story about Gideon. Remember how 32,000 was whittled down to 300. He had heard the story of Samson, how he had taken the jawbone of a donkey and killed and slayed a thousand. He had heard the story of Shamgar. Who? Who's Shamgar? Has anybody heard of Shamgar before? You're going to know Shamgar tonight. He is only one scripture, one verse in the entire Old Testament. But it is powerful. Shamgar. Judges 3.31. After Ehud came to Shamgar, son of Anath, he struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. What's an ox goad? An ox goat is something you use to, to, to prod on the animals, like the, the ox that were in front of you. It was, it was the prodder. He used that to slay 600 men. I want you guys to never forget Shamgar. You know what? Because Jonathan didn't. He, he knew who Shamgar was. He knew that it didn't matter how many there was. Here's one man. God said, I can slay 600 with that. 1 Samuel. Back in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. The New American Standard Bible says it like this, Nothing can restrain the Lord. See, do what reflects the heart of God, and you cannot miss. Do what reflects the heart of God, and you cannot miss. I'm not talking about religious things. I'm talking about what motivates, what is in God's heart, what is on God's mind. Verse 7 of that same chapter says, His young armor bearer said this, Do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. I tell you tonight, we have to link up with armor bearers. And I'm going to tell you tonight, we have misrepresented what these men look like. Armor bearers. We always think, oh, they're just the second fiddle. They're just the associate pastor. They're just the guy. They're just the, the, the youth pastor. They're just the second guy. They're, they're, not the, they're not the guy. But I'm going to tell you tonight, I want you to look at this. This is what these guys, armor bearers, were. They were highly trained, skilled, and trustworthy. They were reliable men. They're, these men, they're, the word destiny is always associated with an armor bearer. They start off in humility, but they end up as kings. Who are some of the armor bearers? Hmm. David. David and Saul. David was an armor bearer. Elijah. Not Elijah, but Elijah. He had a double portion. Wow. 
Paul and Timothy. Timothy, another armor bearer. See, I'm not talking about a second fiddle. I'm talking about a person who has placed themselves in a position free of pride, a teachable spirit, trustworthy, not rebellious towards authority, but they come before you and they say, you know what? I have a servant's heart, a disciplined heart. Pastor, Jonathan... Whatever it is you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. There's no complaining, no murmuring, no grumbling. The armor's too heavy. The walk is too far. Where are we going? I don't know what you're doing here. What do we, I'm not, are you sure you got the right plan? See, who had more faith? Jonathan or the armor bearer? Just think about that just for a minute. Jonathan steps out. He has a sword. The armor bearer, he's got nothing. He doesn't even have the plan. He doesn't even have a name. They don't even give him a name. Man. Oh. See, Jonathan had to begin to climb. He began to use his hands and feet. He began to knock down rocks as they were climbing up, uh, up that mountainside. He, see, he'd asked God for a sign. He said this, and I'm going to tell you what, I'm gonna, if, if, Pastor Billy, if you, this is the sign, we're in big trouble. Okay. He says his armor bears, he says, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go, and we're going to show ourselves to the Philistines, you and me. If they say, stay there, that's God's sign that we are uh, to not go up. If they say, come up to us, then that's the sign that we're, God's going to deliver them into our hands. So what do they do? They climb. Their rocks are falling on the armor bearer. He's not complaining. Things are, rocks are hitting him in the face. Dirt's flying all over him. But, but he's following just behind Jonathan, trying to get up to that mountainside. And they peek over the top. And they show themselves. Here we are. And what happens? The Philistines, they say, Hey, you guys, come on over here. We'll teach you a lesson. That's the sign? Whew. God's given them into our hands. Let's go. That was the sign. See, God did not create us to be defenders. He created us to be on the offense. See, the, we talk about it with the armor of God. It never has... There's nothing on your back because you're supposed to be advancing the kingdom. See, if we get together with armor bearers, if we had a church full of armor bearers, I'm going to tell you what, we could do damage against the kingdom of the, of the enemy. If we had a kingdom, uh, we had a, a, a church full of people who said, hey, I'm not worried about being up front. I'm not worried about my name. All I'm worried about is wherever you're saying to go, well, I'm ready to go. Wherever God's te teaching us, wherever God's leading us, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to battle on, on, on behalf of you. See, if we step out, we embrace that uncertainty. We link up with armor bearers. And I'm telling you what, it doesn't always feel comfortable. But then we can engage the enemy. See, as they showed themselves to the enemy, it's just like the, just like the enemy. He roars like a, a roaring lion, but he's, he's, he's teethless. Come over here and we'll teach you a lesson. See, the reason why um, they, didn't come, they didn't come over to Jonathan is because God wants us constantly to take territory.
He does not want us to defend what we have. Many of us spend all of our time defending what we have instead of going and taking the fight to the enemy. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39 says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. See, Saul was in camp making plans how to protect what he had. Many of us spend all of our time trying to protect that little bit of God, that little bit of religion that we have, and God's saying, listen, what you have, I want you to give away anyway. So don't hang on to it. Whatever you have in your pocket, I'm going to call you to give it up. Whatever I download into you, I'm going to ask you to let it go. What you freely you have received, freely give, he says. See, and choosing to do this. I, I remember I was, I was in Lake Isabella, and I was not a guy... Ron, know, Ron knows this. I'm not a guy that likes to chase people on foot. Okay? We had a guy run up to Sequoia Don one day. Ron was on foot. He chased him. I got in my car, and I drove up to the top. And then when the guy was up there, he came back down. Then I jumped out of my car, and then I chased him. I was in Lake Isabella, and there was a guy that we, we constantly were chasing. And there was an old-timer with me, uh, from the sheriff's department. And I remember we had, we had just chased this guy all over town. We were in pursuit of him. He was on a motorcycle. And as he went through this dip, he came up and he hit this cement wall. And all of a sudden, I saw him do cartwheels through the, this person's front yard. And he had this was a, a mobile home. And it had one of those metal uh, roofed uh, little carports with the little, you know, little flimsy little poles that you can knock over. Well, he was just taking them things out. Clink, clink, clink. Like he was doing cartwheels. Through, and I looked and I go, oh, he's dead. He's got to be dead. I better call an ambulance right now. And all of a sudden, he jumped up like a cat. With nine lives, I don't know what it is about people that are, are on drugs and all these things, because they, 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 they can't be hurt. You know, he did these car, and the next thing I know, he's up and he's running, and now we're running towards the lake. So I jump out of my car, and I'm running. Whoo, and, the, and the deputy who's behind me, he goes, because he can see I was making ground, which is very unusual. I usually don't make ground, I'm telling you right now. It's very unusual that I'm catching him. Um, I know you see this physique and you think, why, he could chase anybody down. But it's not true. But anyway, I'm running and I'm catching him. I'm like, wow, look at this. I feel like the $6 million man. I was making strides and all of a sudden the deputy goes, jump on him. And I'm like, ooh, I don't know about that. That sounds like it could hurt. But I did. I, I, I leapt. It wasn't a big leap. I jumped on his back. And we both went down, and it, I, when I landed, it was like a cushion, because it was, of course, he was on the ground below me, and the, de- the deputy came over, and we hooked him up, and I was like, wow, you know how, that was so cool. Now, what's the, mo- the story, the part of that story is that, is that we have to engage. You know, sometimes when we don't, we don't want to step out there, we don't want to make that, we don't want to engage the enemy, we don't want to confront the enemy, we don't want to, we don't want to chase him down at times, but God said, listen, this, I have made you not to be a defender, but I, I'm on the offense. See, God created these, the enemy just for you. He is fashioned just for you. Pharaoh was fashioned for Moses. Goliath for David. The lion for Daniel. Jericho for Israel. Take the fight to the enemy. He's a bully. Or we can stay at home like Saul did under the tree. See, we can spend all our time being spiritual and religious and never really make any inroads into the kingdom of God. The enemy is going to be pushed back when we step forward. Saul here inquires of the Lord. All of a sudden, what happens? 
is in a, in, a, in a matter of about a half acre. Jonathan begins to swing his sword. The armor bearer is right behind him. He's knocking down people left and right. In this little half acre place, 20 of them are knocked down. And, and the Bible says that the armor bearer, and I don't know what he's using, but he's killing them behind him. So the two of them, they're doing battle. And, in that, and then all of a sudden... The fear of the Lord comes upon them, on, 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 on the Philistines. And they begin to turn on one another. And there's such a commotion that the Israelites who are over there with Saul are like, Hey, are you seeing what's going on over there? Are you seeing what's happening? And Saul's over there going, Well, I, man, I'm not sure what to do here. Now, this would be in the position where we'd go, Jump in! Jump on him! You know, this is... But he's like, I'm not sure. You know what? Let me get the priest over here. Get the priest over here. Hey, you priest, get your, get your, your garment on. Let's, let's, let's check. What, what are we supposed to do? And he's inquiring of the Lord as to whether he's supposed to engage the enemy. And all of a sudden, this, listen, get in the fight! And finally, Saul gets in. And then all of a sudden, the Bible says that the men from that had been hiding, the men who had even had gone over to the Philistine side, came back. Those who hiding in the cave came out and they began to help Jonathan and what was going on for God in, the, in, that, in that area. See, what I'm telling you is sometimes when we step out, we say, perhaps God. Perhaps God. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. You know what? When we step out and we, we pray for somebody who's sick, when we step out, we don't, maybe we don't even feel anything. I'm going to tell you right now, there's pro- you probably won't feel anything when somebody gets healed. You're going you're gonna to touch them and God's going to do a work in them and you're just going to stand there and go, wow, that was in- interesting. I didn't feel any of those Holy Ghost goosebumps or anything like that. But God wants to work through us. Perhaps God. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. I was thinking about a st- the last the final story here tonight. There was a, a girl named Helani who was in our church in, in San Pedro. This girl, as she came into the youth group, she was probably like 14 years old. She was bisexual, lesbian. She was a drug addict. She was a gang member. This girl, and, and we were working with, with, with all kinds of kids from the projects there. This little girl came in. And my wife said, you know what, I'm going to take her under my wing. She started a little girls club that began to impart into these girls about what, what it meant to be a, a Christian, what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. And this girl, it hit. You know, the, you know how to, you know, sometimes you can have a group of 12, a group of 12, and it doesn't hit them all. But this one, it connected. And then we learned later on that this young girl, after we've left that church many years, she became the youth pastor's wife at that church. See, I want you to know tonight, if we step out... See, when we started praying for for Springville in 2012, June of 2012, Ignite began, and we began to pray. At that time right then, 15 out of the 30 kids of, of our little school were not graduating. 50%. Now we're seeing that success rate constantly in the 90s, 95. Ron did an interview with with 12 young people from that school that year. And 10 of them, 10 of them said they'd already done drugs. Now we're only talking 8th graders. See, Daniel said it like this in 1132. 
But the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Tonight, are we like Jonathan or are we like Saul? Are we comfortable? Do we not want to be bothered with the lost? Are we just enjoying our life? Maybe we just haven't gotten desperate enough. We haven't seen a big enough storm to get our attention. I'm telling you, it's coming. Prepare now. I'm not telling you to be a hoarder. I'm not telling you to store up goods and do all I'm telling you to store up treasure. Get under the shelter of His wing. Tonight, I want us, whatever it is that God's calling you, I want us to link up as armor bearers. God, I'm not going to be offended. I'll do what it takes. I'll embrace the uncertainty of where I'm going. Some of you guys right now, you're, you, you're not sure exactly what's ahead. It's kind of a, a cloudy area. But the Lord's saying, listen, just watch my feet. Keep following. Keep following. Don't, don't get off to the right or the left. Saturate yourself in praise. Do not let the enemy take your weapon. The weapon, you have two weapons. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. But it's nothing unless it's coming. It comes out of our mouth. See, why do you think in the book of Revelation, it says, when they see Jesus, it says His eyes are like a blazing fire. His hair is like wool. His, his feet are like bronze. And it says, and then out of His mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. Because He's speaking forth. When we speak forth the Word of God, when we speak forth praise, when we lift His name up, it is an assault weapon against the enemy. Yes.